It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck. Welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro with you once again in the front row. As always, behind the scenes, JR Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Up to episode number 41 now, and we're talking baseball. We're doing that with Trot Nixon. Nixon grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, was an outstanding high school football and baseball player before getting drafted by the Red Sox. He was a member of the 2004 World Series team for the Red Sox, that team that ended the curse of the Bambino, first World Series championship in 86 years. He talks to us about his journey and also about his coaching and coaching his sons now, who are both going to be playing at NC State, where he was originally signed to play before getting drafted. All that and more coming up. Episode number 41 of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro featuring Trot Nixon. Uh, Trot, once again, we, we appreciate you joining us here today. It's great to, to get a chance to talk to you. We're keeping this local here in the, the Wilmington area as you're a Wilmington guy. But you are born in Durham, but basically grew up in Wilmington, I guess. When, when did you make the move to Wilmington uh, in, in your life? Oh, yeah, I was I was young. I was a baby, and uh, we moved down my father was in medical school, uh, finishing up medical school at Duke in his residency and, um, uh, moved down here to Wilmington where, uh, he and a, a few other doctors, um, uh, kind of started up Southeastern dialysis unit. And so I was an infant. I don't remember any, any part of it. Uh, yeah, I was born in Durham. I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I lasted a year in Durham before we moved down here to Wilmington. And, um, but uh, so, yeah, I'm homegrown here in Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, I love it. And so uh, uh, Wilmington is my home. And um, when I got married uh, to my wife, Catherine, um, she lived in Charlotte. So we lived a couple years in Charlotte uh, after we got married and moved back to Wilmington because it's just, you know, uh, this is where I wanted to be. It's where she actually would wanted to be close to the beach. And uh, uh, so it's great. Yeah, it's a tough place to leave for sure. Growing up here for you, what were you doing sports-wise? What sports were you playing? What were you getting into? I played everything. Uh, when growing up, uh, it wasn't as specialized as it is nowadays, obviously. Uh, and the seasons never overlap. So I played uh, football, basketball, then it was soccer, then baseball. Um, like I said, none of the seasons ever overlap. Uh, there was no travel then. Uh, I don't have, you know, I, nothing bad to say about travel ball, but uh, I was always uh, maybe a little high strung. So I was in every sport and I loved every every minute of it uh, growing up. And uh, my favorite class in school was obviously recess. So, uh, uh, but um, in the same sense, growing up, all four sports and it wasn't until I got probably to high school is when I started to drop a couple sports here and there, and then eventually just focused on um, two sports, and that was football and baseball in New Hanover. Yeah, New Hanover High School, as you said, football, baseball, certainly they work well when you look at the seasons for those. Uh, how did one maybe help the other? You know, they're very different sports, but I'm sure there's some carryover from one to the other. Um, there is. I think it's just the fact that, every sport um it kind of opens up different athletic uh, abilities for kids uh it introduces them to 
different movements, um, different things physically, I would say. But then also there's a flip side of that coin where the older you get, you know, it starts to help you mentally uh, as well. Um, in most sports, if you take 10 free throws and you make three of them, that's not very good uh, unless you're Shaq. So uh, that's fine with that because he's – he does. He can do that, but uh, you know, in the same sense in football, if I was three for ten passing, I don't think my uh, coach Miller would have been too happy with me, or Coach Sasser, my offensive coordinator, would have been too happy for me. So when you look at baseball, you know, we kind of say, okay, if you're three for ten, you know, you're a pretty good hitter. You're hitting three hundred. So uh, some of those dynamics, you know, the older you get, you know, start to mature you mentally. Uh, but the biggest thing when you're young and growing up, I was always a fan and always will be a fan along with, I'm sure when you talk to a lot of professional athletes, uh, college coaches, high school coaches, they want kids to get out and experience all these sports and, um, and the movement that is required in all these sports and the discipline and just kind of understanding all that stuff. And that when, Raising my two boys, Chase and Luke, you know, that's exactly what they did. And we always encouraged uh, their friends, their parents to do the same thing. Don't just get stuck in one sport, um, but go out there and play a variety. Now, there's a lot of kids, too, that just don't have any interest, and that's fine, too. Um, but my biggest thing is for all kids to have interest in something, getting outside and playing, because, you know, we, we all – know as adults right now that it's real easy to pick up your phone and and spend a lot of time on your phone uh playing video games and so forth sometimes that can be a nice little outlet for them but being able to get outside uh run around have all these different movements but also being around other kids competing with other kids having a having fun and uh because usually when kids are outside and they're running around their their excitement you know it it does a lot for them not only physically but mentally as well and i think that's real important especially you know since what we've had to deal with the past few years with covid and how the response was for that um honestly i don't think we did a very good job of paying attention to the kids that are in that situation but that's a whole another story for another time but uh uh, that's my biggest encouragement for, for kids out there nowadays is to get out there and play as many sports as you possibly can. I don't care if it's golf. I don't care if it's tennis, volleyball, whatever. Um, every sport um, has its purpose athletically, physically, as well as mentally. And um, so uh, that's, that's my one big thing. Yeah, myself and JR were lucky enough to have kids that are active and, and playing on those uh, teams and different sports, as you mentioned there. And Again, you played different sports. You, you honed into football and, and baseball in high school. Let's let's start on the football side of things. As you said, you played for the late Joe Miller here at New Hanover High School in Wilmington, and, and you excelled for sure as you broke records that were set by Sonny Jurgensen and Roman Gabriel. Did you know at the time that that you were doing that, and and did you know, you know, how big of a deal it was? No, I, I had no idea. Um, I, I think when you got to that point, it was just like, you know, I'm doing whatever needs to be done to win ball games. Um, Cause ultimately uh, and honestly, in those situations, I wanted to win 
uh, our, my teammates wanted to win. We wanted to try to win a state title. And uh, that was our ultimate goal. Um, but, uh, you know, breaking those records, um, you know, the whatever record it was that, you know, that I surpassed with those two great NFL quarterbacks um, were quickly shattered probably a few years uh, down the road by New Hanover High School quarterbacks. I think we've had uh, – I don't know what the record books are in, in at uh, New Hanover and – especially in New Hanover County, but I know there's been quite a few Wildcat quarterbacks that have uh, uh, destroyed uh, some of those all passing records, you know, all-purpose yards records and so forth. But, yeah, it was great when I broke those records. Honestly, I didn't think much about it. Um, I was very honored. and uh, But just like a lot of records, you know, whether it's state records, county records, high school records, uh records that are you know in professional sports so forth uh they're great but they're going to be broken at some point uh in time and uh you just uh, accept that you know you um you honor it the way that it should be honored and then uh then you just move on because you know things are going to change and uh change for the better put it that way and uh, it was a it was an honor to do that but like you said and earlier, I didn't think much about it. I didn't even, I don't think I even realized it till it was in the paper the next day. Yeah. So that was the, the fall of 1992, the spring, you switched to baseball, you win a state championship, you lead the Wildcats to a state championship and you had another tremendous year. You were the all state player in both football and baseball that year as, as well. Obviously find that balance between the two sports. What didn't look like it was hard for you, but, but was it hard to go from one sport excel there and then transition right to another sport with baseball um not really i you know when the football season ended um it obviously it ended kind of on a on a sour note for us but um uh, i just i i really kind of looked at myself as you know just a, a part of the team you know i wanted so bad not only to you know go out there and win you know everybody wants to win for themselves but it was like you know my teammates put me in a lot of great positions, you know, and there's a lot of people that, you know, had a part in my success, not only in high school, but also professionally. And when we talking about high school, you know, um, my, my family, my mom and dad, the support I have from my brother and two sisters, then you go to my cup, my coaches, high school coaches. I couldn't ask for anything better than, you know, coach Miller, coach Sasser, uh, I mean, their entire staff, I can go through the whole the whole staff as well as Coach Brewster and Bill Rhodes and, and the entire staff baseball-wise. They had a lot to do with my successes and then my teammates. Um, uh, I can't just go out there and play quarterback by myself. You know, there's, a, there's 10 other guys on the field with me in football. There's eight other guys on the baseball field with me. And um, so uh, – my teammates had a lot to do with that as well. You know, fan bases, you know, coming up, showing up uh, and supporting us. So the transition from sport to sport, uh, it's kind of ingrained in what you have to do to, to put yourself in a position to be successful. It's just a matter of going out and kind of fine tuning and honing in those skills. Um, I, I lost out on a few opportunities uh, from a baseball standpoint, to play with, uh, to represent the United States. Um, I made the junior Olympic team, but um, uh, 
I was firm on saying this. I didn't even have to talk to my dad about it. But um, when I did make that team, I realized that that team was going to be playing throughout the whole month of uh, August. But I had a responsibility to my teammates uh, to with some unfinished business, so to say, my senior year. Uh, didn't get that business finished like we wanted to, but um, I've missed out on the opportunity to play in the uh, Junior Olympics because my teammates and my coaches at Hanover football meant so much to me in the three years prior that I wasn't going to leave them out to dry for this. So I uh, went back and played football, obviously, and was there for two days and all that fun stuff. And uh, But um, – but I'll take that. You know, that was something that, you know, I was more than happy to pass up. It was a privilege to have been voted onto that team and would have loved to experience that and represent my country. But in the same sense, uh, I had an obligation and a want to represent uh, New Hanover High School, be back there for football. And um, I would have enjoyed missing two-a-days, but I think that's what uh, toughens you up when we our two-a-days at, at New Hanover. Yeah, anybody that goes through that knows uh, knows some of the pain that goes with that, but how that uh, certainly gets you ready for the season as well. Well, uh, again, a, a great career, senior year, all state in both football and and baseball, and and you were signed to go to NC State. Uh, so take us through that process and, and the recruiting that went with that, and, and the decision with that because you know you're 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 set to go there. I'm sure you knew you were gonna chance to be a high draft pick as well. Um, so what what went through? that recruitment process to, to get to NC State? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, first of all. Um, a little bit challenging, you know, because, you know, um, the opportunities that were there, you know, some of the, the things that you dream about when you're probably a kid and you're watching teams on TV, television. Um, NC State and East Carolina, both of the, even though those are rivals and they're, uh, I believe they're getting ready to play. I don't know if it's this weekend or next weekend. Yeah. I believe it's next weekend, but uh, um, they had been recruiting me for a long time from football and baseball uh, side of things. Uh, but then as I got into my, into my junior year, uh, I did a, a couple football camps, one of them being at Alabama. And um just in those three or four days of a football camp in Alabama, it kind of put me on the map to the point where Alabama wanted to offer me a scholarship to go there. And, and Alabama was just coming off of a, a national title year and um, went down there, experienced that, the whole atmosphere. Uh, Gene Stallings was uh, the head football coach, um, Coach Woody McCorvey, who had been at uh, Clemson, I believe he might still be at Clemson right now, but he recruited me. Um, but it was kind of a situation where even though I did love football, I also uh, wanted to play baseball. And um, long story short, um, the side of Alabama baseball never made contact with me um, and basically made me feel like I probably wouldn't have fit into their program and um just you know I, I ended up when i made my decision to go to nc state you know and there were some other teams obviously on there too that were on my list um my, i think my top five list was uh nc state um georgia tech notre dame alabama 
and um, and also East Carolina. And a lot of people say, well, what did you put East Carolina on there for? I said, well, I think it was just the relationships that I had with the coaches. Football coaches, believe it or not, from East Carolina went to Georgia Tech. So that friendship, I mean, that respect, that friendship, that communication that we already had um, continued down there. And then, um, uh, and then obviously the baseball side of things at Georgia Tech too. But, um, you know, Notre Dame and Alabama were just two organizations that, I mean, two programs from a football standpoint that were kind of like the Mecca, you know, at the time. And um, even though I really wanted to go to Alabama, my heart was dead set on, on NC State and primarily because, yeah, it's closer to home, but we kind of tried to run an offense similar in football to what NC State did. And from a baseball standpoint, I had gotten to know the coaching staff for almost three years at NC State. So that was, you know, that was primarily the biggest reason why I chose NC State. And um, and and people said, well, did you want to try to play professionally in both sports? That never once crossed my mind. I wanted to play professional baseball. Um, football, believe it or not, was something that uh, when I played Pop Warner, I enjoyed it, but there was a little bit of a timid factor, believe it or not. And um, the only time that <laughs> the timid factor went away was when my dad, he probably uh, will scoff at this a little bit, when he uh, motivated me uniquely to the point where I was so upset and so mad, I didn't think about anything. I just went out and played. Um, but um, there was always kind of like, you know, what's going to happen in this game? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to this and that and the other? And believe it or not, somehow, some way, I think it was just the whole mindset of going to New Hanover High School. When you get into the weight room and you're working out, you're lifting, what that does to you physically and mentally, as well as going out and competing, um, the game of football just started to grow on me. And I love the competition. I love the contact. I love there's probably I was probably stupid at times uh, when I did certain things, but um, it just I think that part of the game helped me in baseball um, to a certain degree. I think one fed off of another. And um, but uh, baseball was always my first love and football just kind of grew and grew and grew. And um, but I never anticipated or never wanted to be, you know, a professional you know, quarterback as well as hopefully a professional baseball player. I just wanted to go compete. And that's what I wanted to do at NC State. And uh, that's that was the, the story and it kind of, you know, why I wanted to go to state. You know, I love I always love state and uh, I'm kind of fortunate now. I know we'll probably get in this later, but I have one. Uh, my oldest son, Chase, is playing baseball. He's in his sophomore year at NC State. And uh, my younger one, Luke, just accepted a scholarship to play baseball at state. Uh, he's in his senior year this year, but it'll be next year. Yeah, I know it's an exciting time for you as as a parent uh, to see that happen, and and again, an exciting time for you. Back in 1993, you get drafted uh, seventh overall pick by the Boston Red Sox. So your dream of playing professional baseball is about to come true. How did you find out you were drafted, and 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 what was your thought of of the Red Sox at that time? 
Um, I, I, it was kind of cool. We, we kind of uh, got out of school a little bit early that day. They let me uh, get out. And the best part, too, was they, they, uh, a lot of my teammates, um, you know, had gotten out of school or maybe um, got their, te- their parents to write them uh, a special note like, hey, my son's got to go uh, to an important meeting or something today because I wanted my teammates to be there as well. And I would love to have had a lot of my football teammates. But uh, we're at the house and just kind of watching – um, I believe it was uh, an Atlanta Braves game that was on television because they didn't they didn't have what they have now. I mean, nowadays yeah. it's a spectacle. Um, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think a little bit of it is too much, but in the same sense, it doesn't really matter to me. It's it's fine. But um, and you can see the little ticker tape at the bottom of the draft. And uh, but back then, you know, you kind of waited by the phone, and the the phone rang, and I ran downstairs from what well, we called our, our little game room and um, above the garage and uh, answered the phone. And that's where um, I was told, uh, I believe it was Lou Gorman that uh, he was the general manager at the time that called and told me that the uh, Red Sox had, had drafted us and congratulations. And uh, uh, I tell you, it, it, I might get in trouble because if it wasn't Mr. Gorman, it, it was either Howard McCullough or Jeff Zona, the scout who scouted me. But uh, one of those three guys had called me. So um, very exciting time. I got a picture of it, you know, with me answering the phone. And uh, Coach Brewster and, and Coach Rhodes were kind of in in the doorway. But um, – and that's when, you know, I had, I had reached, you know, my dream. You know, I kind of reached that mountaintop, but – Um, that wasn't the mountaintop that I wanted, you know, I wanted to kind of go past that, but, uh, um, kind of put things in perspective. Obviously I was very excited and, um, to move on into that chapter in my life. And, you know, we went through all the negotiating. It's a lot different now. I I explained that to uh, Luke last night. It was a lot different back then. You did a lot of negotiating and it took most of the summer. And during that summer, I actually went to football camp. And uh, I, I believe the Red Sox didn't think I had any intentions of playing football and going to school. But um, they quickly found out that I was literally at football practice and and going through everything and enjoying that whole process and uh, that I was taking it seriously because I did. I, I wanted to play football and baseball at NC State. Um, I knew there was an opportunity. If I did well enough, I can get drafted um, after my sophomore year because of my age. And um, so I was taking it seriously. Uh, and I did did know that in the back of my mind, I really wanted to play professionally. Um, I got dinged a couple times. I got hit one time, didn't say anything to the trainer. Um, my right elbow swelled up so bad and I showed my dad and I was like, you think that's all right? And he freaked out and um, long story short, the trainer aired me out. He goes, why didn't you come in here for this? You're getting me in trouble. I was like, ah, I'll be all right. And, uh, but um, I enjoyed it. I loved every minute of it. Um, and it, it got down to the, the, I believe it was the afternoon right before we're having the red white scrimmage game. And I can't remember the player it was. I went out to Carter Finley 
and we're going to tell the coaches that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and sign and play professional baseball. I think classes actually started the next yeah. day. So I was like, why are we having a scrimmage the day before school starts? I got eight o'clock in the morning. Wago <laughs> uh, at, at one of my classes, I think it was an English class. So it was like, oh, I got to get it going early. But uh, I went out there and, and uh, one of the first players that I saw, it, man, it drives me crazy. I can't remember his name, but he was a preseason all ACC possible all American. He was a defensive end and, I just went over to him. He was the one that hit me in the elbow. He didn't mean to, but it just—it happened. I didn't care one bit. Um, but uh, I just told him that, you know, I appreciate everything, and I had a blast, and best of luck, but I'm going to go ahead and sign professionally. And he just kind of winked at me. He goes, I thought you were coming over here to say that because you didn't – you didn't. I didn't have on my battle rattle. Uh, so I uh, wasn't getting ready for – the scrimmage. So I ended up telling the coaches and the coaching staff there and didn't, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't appropriate enough to do that before the scrimmage. But I think a lot of the coaches saw the writing on the wall um, that I really wanted to go play professional baseball. And um, there's a couple other things that I found out, but uh, I don't hold any ill will towards it, but a couple one thing that stood out, I'll, I'll keep it to myself, that I basically called dad up that night and I said, yeah, let's, let's, I'm ready to go play some baseball. And, and that was that. And, um, but, you know, during that summer, um, the, other than the bonus of going ahead and signing and starting my professional career is when I, I met my, my wife, uh, Catherine at the time, she was a little bit older and, um, early on in the summer, um, Oh, Coach Toman, who's assistant coach at NC State, had introduced me to Catherine because through Coach Toman and his relationship with uh, the coaches at um, uh, in Rockingham, you know, he had he had known Catherine for a few years and introduced her to me. So uh, we started that relationship, which is still going strong right now. Yeah, so so I guess long story short, defensive ends they've they probably sent a lot of people to their baseball careers, right? So so that <laughs> yeah. helped probably speed it up a little bit. And and let's get into that that baseball career now. Nineteen ninety four to ninety eight, you're kind of bouncing around in the minor leagues, but you do make a couple of uh, stints with the Red Sox as well. Do you remember your debut? It was uh, September twenty first, nineteen ninety six. Do you remember that? Uh, was that against the Yankees? It was against the Yankees. You you were a pinch runner, and you're out in right field that game. Yeah. When I went to pinch run, you know, first of all, I mean, when I when I went up there, it was it was it was a contractual thing. You know, it was in my contract. Be called up in September. Believe it or not, I didn't want to go up there because I, I was like, look, I don't deserve to be up here. You know, this is a roster spot. Somebody else would be taken. I know this is contractually. Um. I remember my manager, Ken Maka, who I had actually for about three years, he told me, he goes, he goes, I'm going to be really upset. And he said a few other words, if you don't go up there and experience that. Because your your career could end next year and you'll never experience the major leagues. You know, this is what you earned when you got drafted. So I'm like, all right, well, so I went up there and, you know, I was just like the guy sit on the end of the corner, you know, I'd 
you know, if, if any of the players need me to run back into the clubhouse to get anything, some coffee or whatever, I go do that. And then all of a sudden, I believe the game was going into extra innings and they wanted a pinch runner at first. Well, I had to use the bathroom so bad, okay? <laughs> and, I, you know, I was afraid to move. You know, I was, you know, I'm this young rookie punk. And I was like, all right, I, you know, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So I go out and run. And pinch run, and I think it ended up – I don't know if I got to second base or it was a force out at second base that ended the inning. And <laughs> when I went out there, uh, Catherine uh, was my fiance at the time. Uh, she started screaming, and nobody knew who she was. She in Yankee Stadium as well. Started screaming because, oh, that's my fiance, it's my fiance. And Lewis, you know, like I had to use the bathroom so bad. I was nervous. I'm like, oh my God, this is Yankee Stadium, and I'm pinch running. Uh, but um, so, yeah, it was a little bit, it was probably about a thousand miles an hour and very nerve wracking going out there um, at that point. But then I think there was another opportunity. Um, I, I went up the next year, I believe it was. Uh, or no, excuse me, it was later on in the year where I got to play um, against the Yankees at home. And that's when, you know, uh, I was two for four and uh, got a couple hits. The funny part, the funny thing about that, my first at bat, Joe Girardi's catching. And I go up there and I'm sitting here, I get the sign, you know, I start, you know, twirling my bat a little bit, looking out at the pitcher and <laughs> – the bat dropped out of my hands <laughs> and I picked it up real quick. And all I could see was like, Girardi was like this, you know, giving signals and he's looking at me and then he sees me drop the bat and he, he looks at me and then turns around and looks at the umpire like this. And I'm just like, Oh my God, just pick it up, just pick it up and go. And I, I can't remember if it was a first or second pitch and I hit a line drive back up the middle. Uh, I got my first uh, big league hit then and, the coolest thing that I got to – when I got to third base, um, time was called. I think maybe uh, the Yankees had come out and had a uh, – not a pitching change, but just a conversation. Ricky Bonus was the, the pitcher on the mound. And Hall of Famer Wade Boggs, you know, who used to be a Red Sox, he was uh, a Yankee. He came over there to me. He goes, hey, kid, hey, congratulations on your first hit. Hopefully you have uh, thousands more. And I was like, man, this is a, you know, Hall of Famer. Actually, right now, at the time, he wasn't a Hall of Famer, but I knew he was going to be. Came over and said that. And uh, long story short, I ended up, my family, we got to go to David Ortiz's induction. And on Friday night, we went to a dinner, and Wade was there. And I actually brought that, uh, brought that conversation up to him and told him how much that really meant to me. And and for my boys to hear that and, and all that stuff, I was like a kid in the candy store. And uh, so that was pretty cool and ended up getting another hit later in that game. And um, I think the Yankees went on into the playoffs. I know our season had ended. and uh, But moving forward, um, that was a great experience. Um, obviously got my first hit, uh, first two hits and so forth. They just scored a run as well. So um, that was kind of the start of it. And uh, after that, you know, I went up. I went back to AAA for two years, um, struggled my first year in AAA. Um, the whole first half, I was terrible. And um, uh, Rico Petroselli was my hitting coach. And I think once 
the first half ended, I was hitting maybe right around 200, below 200. I just, you know, I, I didn't know what in the world. And Rico kept working with me. We we changed up a few things. I started believing I started choking up on the bat. I'd spread my stance out a little bit. And I already had a lot of at-bats to the point where um, – you had to do a lot just to get it over 200 and get it up to at least 250. Well, at the end of the year, I think at the halfway mark, I had three or four home runs. At the end of the year, I think I ended up hitting 247. I had 20 home runs. Um, basically, in the second half, I hit 285 and hit about 15 or 16 home runs. And um, so it started to click. And going into my second year of AAA, um, I had one special teammate. His name was Jimmy Hurst. Um, honest to God, he looked like Michael Jordan to a certain point. He's 6'5", had a ball head. There's some great stories about when he was with the White Sox and when Michael Jordan came back to play. Um, he was a character from Alabama, could have been an All-American in basketball, uh, decided to play, um, to play baseball. He and I kind of competed against each other and pushed each other you know, encouraged each other throughout the entire year. Um, but we both ended up hitting over 300. I ended up having, I think I'll hit 320. I had 28 home runs and I stole 30, no, I stole 25 uh, bases, which was he and I wanted to see if we could both do the 2020 and uh, was able to achieve that. And then that's when I, I got called up for September. Um, I, obviously that was my best minor league season where everything kind of came together, got called up, had a good September. I think I hit 280 and, uh, actually did enough for Jimmy Williams to put me on the playoff roster that year, um, in 1998. And, uh, actually got, a, I think three at bats in game three against the the Indians. Um, I, I got one hit, I believe it was. I think I was one for three, but um, that's what kind of put me in a position to make the team in 1999. Yeah, 1999, uh, your first full season with the team. You know, 2003, maybe your best season. And, and, and let's talk about 2003 before we get to 2004, because you guys make the playoffs. Obviously, it comes down to you and the Yankees in the ALCS. You had a good, really good series there. It, it goes seven, the Yankees win. But did that help set things up for 2004 for the Red Sox? Yeah, you know, it. we were right there on the doorstep. A lot of things started coming together late in our in that season. And um, uh, really exciting. I think it really excited, you know, it kind of – the fans were always there in Boston. And I think that really kind of put them over the edge because I think 1999, we made it to – um, the AL championship, lost to the Yankees, um, 2000, 2001. Obviously, 2001 um, was 9-11 uh, that year, got pushed back the Yankees. But we're kind of always underneath the, the Yankees. You know, we just could not get over that hump. And, it, you know, if you just watch the captain, you know, the Yankees were really, really good in that, that, uh, that time period. And it wasn't a situation where they had <clears> – <throat> Yeah, they had all-stars in every position, it seemed like, but they just had a really good team. They had a 
a veteran team that knew how to compete, knew how to win, knew how to go through that. And to be able to do that year after year after year was really impressive. So we knew we had to do something to get over that hump. And we're right there in game seven. Um, but uh, I think moving into the 2004 season, our ownership went out and filled in the pieces that we felt like uh, we needed to solidify. Obviously, you brought in Keith Folk, uh, the closer role. Um, our bullpen did a fantastic job. They kind of found their niche late in the season in 2003, but everybody kind of really wanted it. But it was like a, a, a committee, closer by committee. And uh, some players liked that. Some players didn't. They, they just wanted to kind of have um, – there are creatures of habit. You know, if, if you have a setup guy that usually comes in in the seventh or eighth inning, they're used to coming in. They, they're not used to coming in the fifth or sixth. Uh, it's, it's a strange dynamic. And until you play several, several years in the, in the big leagues, people just wouldn't understand that. But um, our bullpen clicked. But, you know, having that bona fide closer um, would shore up everything in that bullpen. So we got Keith Falk. Um, also got um, uh, Kurt Schilling. You got uh, another Hall of Fame pitcher to go side-by-side side with Pedro. And um, uh, there was a few other acquisitions I know we got. We got Big Poppy came in, I think, in 2002. Uh, Manny was, I think, 2001, 2000, I think. So um, everything's kind of started to come together. And there were some other uh, pieces in that. Even though we lost Nomar, uh, who I love to death and, and you know, kind of grew up in the minor leagues, even though he catapulted a lot quicker than I did, um, never lost that friendship. Always tried to talk to him at least once a year. Uh, we got Orlando Cabrera uh, playing shortstop. Mark Bellhorn came in as a second baseman along with Pokey Reese. Uh, both of those guys did a fantastic job. Unbelievable. I think the biggest thing, I even split time with Gabe Kapler out in right field. We had Kevin Millar. Um, Bill Miller came in, obviously, in 2003. He had, uh, oh, man, he had, I can't remember if he won the batting title in 04 or if it was 05. But what it was was we had a team that just, we cared about each other. And it was a situation, Kurt Schilling said, you know, with this clubhouse, this team we have, you couldn't wait to get to the field every day. That's how much fun we had. It wasn't just to get to the field and hurry up and play. It was like, and he was right. You couldn't wait to get to the clubhouse and just sit there and just be a part of it all. I mean, we, we had a good time in the clubhouse. We ribbed on each other. It didn't matter who you were. You could have been Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, you know, Pedro, you know, these guys, you, you hold them on a pedestal. I mean, they're they're up there, but they were just like everybody else. We'd always – we're messing with everybody and uh, joking around. Everybody's the brunt of the joke. And, uh, you know, we had the captain in, in Veritech over there as well. But, uh, but once that – you know, once it got to about 6.30, you could see everybody, you know, they lock in and we all had one goal, and that was to, to get back to the postseason. And, uh, and try to finish it out. And that's exactly what we were able to do in 04, get back to the postseason and, uh, you know, have that vaulted uh, uh, possible seven-game 
um, series again with the Yankees and see what happens uh, then. Yeah, the Yankees win the East that year, so you're a wild card. You, you sweep the Angels, and again, as you said, you and the Yankees, the, the evil empire, as, as the Red Sox refer to them as. Again, you mentioned the, the captain. If you, you, that, you saw a little bit of that. Fire. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you mentioned some, some great players, but then you go into that series and you're down 3-0. Take us to the mindset of you, the team. Again, you know, this is this is the, the rival. This is the team you've got to get past, and now you're down 3-0 in the ALCS in 2004. Yeah, you know, people, you know, talk about the evil empire, and and uh, when you get out there and you're competing, you're you're not you. There's no hate out there, I, even though we got into it a few times with them, uh, and emotions kind of took the better of us at, at at times on both sides. But I had a tremendous amount of respect um, for those guys over there, Jorge Posada, obviously Derek Jeter. Um, I, I actually, you know, was kind of nervous to, to kind of rib him a little bit when he went running into the stands. I was like, I was like, geez, man, uh, he seriously, I had one pinch hit opportunity. Your pitcher's throwing 92 mile hour splits that are falling off the table and you got to run in the stands and catch the ball. And he gets mad at me. He goes, we do the same thing over here in right field for me. Get off the line. And. We a little banter back and forth, and I said, I promise you, I will go 10 rows up and buy a ticket just to catch one of your foul balls over there. So don't hit it to me anywhere else. And he'd laugh, but, you know, all those guys, uh, Tino Martinez, um, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, I mean, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill. I mean, I had a tremendous amount of respect for him, and, and as well, our team did. You know, there were some times where he's like, man, these guys just hate each other. But there was never really any hate. It was just competing. And uh, I think what magnified it were the dislike between Red Sox fans and Yankee fans. I think that was the biggest thing. And, and uh, you know, we wanted what they had. They, they won titles, and we wanted to win a title. So, yeah, the first three games um, – did not that whole series did not start the way we anticipated where we wanted it to and especially like in the 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 movie if you haven't seen it the six-part series the captain is great uh Derek Jeter is fantastic and um tremendous amount of respect for him and uh you know in game three we got crushed I think we lost like 20 to 6 20 to 8 um and you know it was like we're kind of not in disarray, but we're just like, what in the world is going on? I mean, we're down three games to none. Uh, game four comes in. I believe he gets rained out. So we weren't begging for rain. We weren't out there drawing rain turtles like you do in the minor leagues, begging for rain, rain outs to get a day off. But, you know, all of a sudden we realized it was raining, and they're just like, look, it's going to be doing this off and on all night and we're going to go ahead and push the game to tomorrow. And we're like, all right, well, so we got in a little bit earlier to the ballpark for game four uh, the following day, and we kind of had a meeting. And, you know, we're talking about a few things, and you could tell that, you know, guys were, you know, stress level was high in there. We knew what we had to do. And, you know, to me, what I always kind of tell kids is like, when you – when you tell yourself you have to do this and you have to do that when it comes to playing baseball or coming to play football and all that stuff, if it's not built in 
as kind of like habitual habit form. You know, when you start telling yourself, I have to get a hit here, I have to get a hit there, I have to throw a strike, I bet you that percentage goes way down. And what I try to get them to do is like, hey, I just want you to go out and compete. You know what you have to do. Set that to the side. Don't let that consume you. Just go out and compete and have fun. Well, Veritech, you know, kind of stood up in the meeting. And, and Tech's not somebody who speaks up a whole lot. He's not somebody, he's not the big rah-rah guy and all that. But when he feels passionately about something, you know, he'll let us know. And when he stood up, he goes, look, let's just focus on this. Let's try this out. All right, we got nine innings. Okay, not in a ball game. He goes, let's just worry about trying to win the top of the first. And he goes, for us to win the top of the first, let's let's just hold them. Let's have good pitch count. You know, do all these things. Let's keep them off the bases the best we can. Let's let's try to hold them to a zero. If they score a run, okay. When we get to the bottom, if they don't score any runs, let's try to get some base runners. Let's try to push one across. Let's try to win every half inning go from there and then when we add it all up at the end of nine innings let's see where we are then just focus on trying to win the top and try to win the bottom you know if they don't score in the top and we don't score in the bottom the best way we can win that inning is the hey you know what they didn't have any base runners we got two or, we got a couple guys on base and so that means the pitch count got up and all that stuff so let's just worry about doing that. And I think us as a team, I know me personally, I was like, you know, that's a that's great. That's a great way to approach this because how are we approaching it when we got into the clubhouse? Oh, God, God we, we got to win four straight. You know, we, we got we to score runs. We got to shut these guys out. We got to win four straight, you know, in order for us to do what we want to do. Well, that was – if with that mindset, we would have never – we would have gotten beat in four games. We would have got swept. And uh, who knows what would have happened in 2005 if we would have gotten swept right there because the money that we spent, the anticipation and all. So we did that, and then we just plugged away, plugged away. We realized we're in the game at the end of the game. And um, uh, in our with that one rain out, it kind of lined up everything from a pitching standpoint. It's like all of a sudden, you know, we get through that one game, then we have Pedro for game five. Boom, if we get to pass that, game six is shill. And then you got game seven. If we get to game seven, anything's going to happen. I mean, we've already changed. We've already flipped the script if we got to that. But, you know, we played some, you know, some uh, obviously Big Poppy, you know, had an unbelievable uh, postseason uh, that year. And, you know, game-winning home run in extra innings, game-winning hit the next night. The Dave Roberts stolen base. I mean, you just realize, you know, the little intricacies in that game. You know, like Jeter said, you know, if it would have been on the other side of the bag, you know, Dave Roberts may have been out. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll never know. But just the things that had to happen. But I think the biggest thing that happened from game four to game seven is we stopped worrying about oh, we got to win all these games. And all we just, all we did was we went out and played. We went out and competed. And then once we got to game six, you know, then we we pushed runs across. 
um, you could start to see them, you know, I don't say they were tightening up or whatever, but you could see the tide was was turning. And then in game seven, you know, we're in the clubhouse and it's it, it wasn't like a party atmosphere, but it was rocking. I mean, we knew everything. Everybody was relaxed. Um, we didn't know what it was like in their clubhouse. So we're sitting there. We're watching. We get there early. We're just hanging out. We're watching um, a movie on TV, and it was the miracle, believe it or not. Um, we're So we're watching this, and, you know, I'm like, bite my fingernails watching this movie because it's the first time I've ever seen The Miracle. And uh, great movie. I'm not a hockey player or anything, but it was awesome. And I'm sitting here watching it and gets to the end of the movie. And I'm like, man, we're going to win today. I feel it, man. I'm, I'm excited. And then he goes, hey, guys, we got somebody who wants to come in here and meet y'all. And lo and behold, here comes Mike Ruzioni who was on the movie and i'm like and i'm like sitting there, wait wait that that we just watched the miracle he goes, oh yeah yeah i just want to come in wish you guys the, you know good luck you know congratulations where you're at go out there and win i was like oh my god we're gonna win tonight this is no way i mean i don't know if somebody put that movie in there on purpose yeah because they knew mike was gonna walk in the door but when he came in we're all like fired up i mean dude we were jumping out of the seat going oh and then we started chanting USA, and I just looked around. I, remember, I can't remember who it was. I told I was like, man, we're going we're gonna to steamroll these guys tonight. Got over that hump. I always tell people that, you know, we went into St. Louis and, and swept them in four games. I was like, well, first of all, it was hard to kind of like really pay attention to the fact that you're in the World Series and it happened so quick because so much went into that series before against the Yankees. And um, – it felt like we won two world championships. We got over the hump of the Yankees and uh, and then won the the actual real world championship against the Cardinals. Yeah, it's it's an interesting parallel between you and the U.S. hockey team because they beat the Russian team and that wasn't the gold medal game. Then they had no. to get ready for the gold medal game. So you again, you beat the evil empire, come back, the only team to ever come back from three zero. You win that ALCS. Was it hard? I mean, obviously you sweep the the Cardinals. Was it ever hard to kind of stay on that high going from the Yankees to the Cardinals, even though, as you said, it was a World Series? It was a, a runaway freight train. It was like, you know, the our whole mindset and attitude was so sky high. And I always try to say, you know, it's like a snowball effect. But I say it's a snowball effect with a freight train in it. And every time the freight train is going down a steeper incline, they're also adding on another car to it. So it's becoming faster and faster and heavier and heavier. Um, that was, you know, after we had beat the Yankees, and uh, I think we had to wait a couple nights to f see who um, was going to win between the Cardinals and Astros. And I was like, you know, they need to hurry up and finish this other series because I'm ready to play. And uh, – um, it didn't. It didn't slow down at all. I, I know we had the first two games uh, in Boston, and um, I know the first game wasn't a very pretty one, but uh, we ended up winning. I can't remember what the score was. It was. I think we we had scored double digits. I thought, but when I knew we were perfectly fine, was 
<laughs> there was a kind of a soft line drive that was hit into left field and Mary Ramirez goes over and instead of diving head first, <clears throat> excuse me, he jumped in the air like he's going to slide feet first in the second to catch the ball. So he's going to catch it and his left knee hits the ground. And he digs like a trench, you know, I don't know if you see, probably about a, a foot, a little foot and a half long. And it, when his knee hit, he catapulted over. And you probably you see highlights of it. But what you didn't see was Johnny and I were in the outfield, and we had our gloves in front of us. And other guys in the infield were like, oh, my God, how funny was that? We're laughing. And Millar's just sitting there with his hands on his hips going, what, what? And we're just like, and we then we moved our gloves down, looked over at Manny. We're just like, you know, like, just like you're Manny goes, ah, just stupid. You had a front row seat of Manny being Manny, right? Manny being Manny. And, um, and right then and there, you know, we were like, we're, we are at the level we need to play because we're having a good time out here. There's no tension at all. I mean, we played great. You know, our yeah. pitching staff did a fantastic job. You know, I tell people looking back on my career, you know, whether I was in high school, uh, Little League, you know, the best way I can say, I just wanted to win. And uh, I just wanted to be a part of winner. I know that sounds like it's coming the same uh, statements that, you know, Derek Jeter said. But when he said them, you know, it hit home with me too. It's like, yeah, all I wanted to do is win. And I wanted to be on a team, you know, our teammates where we had a chance to win, you know. And, you know, th that's what I wanted to do through high school, you know, even in little leagues and pop one and all that stuff. And then getting to the minor leagues, I wanted to win a minor league championship. We never did. We always had the team that came in first place, it seemed like but never won a minor league championship. Uh, but to be in an organization that I was drafted by that had 86-year drought of winning a world championship. A side note to when I signed, um, I was young, you know, and I'm answering questions from major media market, and I just said, I want to help bring a world championship to Boston. And I remember there's a few people that chuckled in there because at the time I didn't really know the whole history of the Red Sox. And in the paper the next day, I don't remember who, what paper it was, the article, who it was from, but um, it, the, the article kind of made it out to be, you know, like, okay, this kid really doesn't know what he's talking about. The Red Sox haven't won a world championship. And, you know what, I'm sorry, don't feel bad if you finish your whole career without winning a world championship because, you know, it looks like the Red Sox are quote-unquote cursed. And, you know, I read that. I was like, why would that guy say that? You know, I, I didn't know any better. I was 19 years old, and my dad cut it out of the paper. And he goes, I tell you what, when you win a world championship, then uh, we're going to buy a loaf of bread and some mayonnaise, and he's going to eat that. <laughs> and that stuck with me. And, and I didn't think about that all the time, obviously. But when we won the world championship, I, I, I remember telling my dad, I said, we still have that article somewhere. And we had it at home. But I, the one thing is I didn't know who wrote the, art, who wrote the article. 
And to this day, if I still had the article and I knew who wrote it and he was still alive, um, I promise you, you're not going to pick the bread that you want. I'm going to pick the bread and I got some mayonnaise. You can eat that article. So um, that's just kind of a little side note that that's all I want to do was be a part of a team. I knew I wasn't going to be the one to lead it. I just wanted to be a part of it. And, um, and it was unbelievable when we won and came back to Boston because a real good friend of mine, one of my best friends in the game, Brian Dahlbeck, who, you know, I love him like he's a brother. I see him every year. He and I coach on the same team at fantasy camp down with the Red Sox. Uh, we always talked about, you know, in the years prior, like if we win a championship here, man, the only way that we're going to be able to drive around in this town with a trophy is in the duck boats, which are these old World War II boats that um, are land and water boats. And uh, it's, you ever go to Boston, there's one thing you got to do if you don't, other than go to Fenway Park, you got to go on duck duck boat tour. Um, and believe it or not, when we got back, we're getting ready to go around for the parade and what they have lined up out in front of Fenway, every, all the players got on duck boats because we went the path of the duck boats and we were informed that there were thousands and thousands of people um, up and down the bay out there, the Charleston River, excuse me, the Charleston River. And so they altered that route and went, and circled around the river because so many fans couldn't get to where we were on the parade route. So they just kind of got around like, well, they're probably going to go on the water and the duck because they're in the duck boats. We had no plan of doing that. It, it changed. We didn't care. And uh, so it was, it was pretty awesome to see uh, all the fans out there in the duck boats, but uh, unbelievable. Um, the stories that I heard from fans who travel from all over just to go uh, to the world series and, excuse me, to the, the parade. But one thing that touched me the most is not long after that, we took the trophy, different players to the trophy around the state of Massachusetts. And we went out west and we passed this enormous graveyard. And uh, we're on the highway and it was just enormous, but it caught everyone's eye and everybody just looked at it and you didn't hear a sound. It was probably seven or eight players and then, other personnel from the Red Sox, but the entire graveyard looked like a sea of red where, you know, family members had gone out and put Red Sox, you know, hats and blankets and flowers and all this stuff uh, at the grave sites of probably moms and dads and grandfathers that were diehard Red Sox fans that never saw um, the Red Sox win a world championship. And it was, it was unbelievable. And, just a reminder of how much it meant to the fan base up there. Almost out of time here, but, but, you know, we talked about your, your major league debut. I want to talk about your, your last game on the field in, in a Red Sox uniform, October 1st, 2006. Uh, Terry Francona, your, your manager takes you out in the fifth inning, last game of the season. You kind of know maybe that's the end of the road, the end of your run with the Red Sox. What was that moment like for you that day and, and, and coming out of the game and maybe the ovation that you got as well? Yeah, it was kind of a a crazy day. I, I knew that was – I didn't know I was going to be taken out of the game. And the thing – we didn't even know if the game was going to happen because it rained all day and rained throughout the game. It was just kind of a miserable thing. And 
and when I look back on it, I knew it was going to be my, you know, last game in a Red Sox uniform. Um, I, I really wish it would have been just a normal day. I don't care if it was 40 degrees out there, but um, I knew with this weather that we had, you know, I didn't think we were going to play the game. And I think when it came to the point that early when uh, when Tito took me out, it, it meant a lot to Tito because he, he wanted me to do it and – uh, he wanted to do that for me, you know, and for the fans. Um, it, it was, you know, it, it stunk for me because this is the only organization that I had known. Um, I was always a player that I, I wanted to literally be drafted by the Red Sox, and I wanted to stay and, and retire as a Red Sox, um, believe it or not. I didn't, you know, free agency, uh, I missed that because I, I got a three-year contract. Uh, I did have a two-year contract, um, believe it or not, that year, an extension that they were still kind of fine-tuning and all that stuff. Uh, I got hurt, and believe it, the Red Sox took it off the table after that, which, you know, kind of upset me. I didn't understand it at the time. Uh, it did upset me because I really wanted to be here, uh, be with the Red Sox. I didn't leave because I wanted to go out and experience free agency. I wanted to stay there. And, um, but um, for the fans that were, that were still there, because it was a, it was an ugly day. It was just bad weather and all. Um, I am eternally grateful for the fans that stayed there. You know, I love Tito, my teammates, you know, that um, I didn't really know what to do. You know, it was like, you know, I told Tito, I was like, I didn't want to come out of the game. You know, I, I know why you did it, but I didn't want to come out of the game. I never wanted to come out of the game. And uh, nobody does. But uh, it meant a lot to me. And um, uh, for everything that the organization, um, the players, my teammates, uh, people that, you know, were not there, that were there when I first started, even in the minor leagues, all the coaches and everything. It's kind of like that same old thing about, you know, everybody that put me in that position to get drafted, you know, everybody that had not only them, but then you add in all the personnel, whether it's on field or off the field, um, that helped put me in a position to have had, you know, the kind of career I had in Boston, winning a world championship. And, um, uh, but I did get to come back, uh, a couple more times, uh, with playing with the, the Indians and uh, just, you know, better day, uh, unbelievable ovation. Um, you know, Boston fans will always have my heart. Uh, I love those guys. They're passionate. Um, they are tough. Um, <clears throat> they will boo you. But the, the thing was is that, you know, I kind of grew up, even though my dad was a, a doctor and all that stuff, my dad was tough on me. My coaches were tough on me, Brewster, Coach Miller. And that's the way, you know, it wasn't – it's more love, more like tough love and um, uh, discipline, uh, dedication, you know, all those things that you wanted to personify, you know, in your life, in your career as an athlete as well as uh, everyday person. Um I fit in perfect with, I felt like, the Boston fans. There's a lot of players that didn't like that atmosphere. I've played with guys who said this place is very difficult to play with. I was like, well, first you can't listen to the media. You just got to turn them off. Don't listen to the radio. Don't read the papers. 
just get up, go to the field, eat and all that. But, you know, uh, the one thing I know was that the fans were with, you know, me personally through the thick and the thin. And um, I tried to play the game the way it was supposed to be played. Um, I didn't do that every night. I didn't shy away from saying, well, you know, I had the sun was in my eyes or I had dirt in my eyes or whatever. If I did something wrong on the field, I was taught by my high school coaches like, hey, go ahead and cut it at cut it right off, you know, before it gets any worse and say, look, that's on me. You know, i got to be a better player. i got to be a better this or, or that. You know, I made that mistake. Um, I can't do anything about it right now except learn from it and then move on and be ready to play tomorrow. So um, I, hopefully the fans kind of respected that, and I tried to come out there and, and uh, atone for some of those mistakes, but just go out and play the game and play it the right way and, and uh and just win i i didn't care about i mean obviously i cared about all my statistics i wish i could have had better statistics i wish i could have played a lot longer i played through a lot of injuries that probably hurt me in the long run um because i just love to compete i love to be out on the field and um i wish i would have taken better care of my body but you know what those opportunities of playing professional baseball for me you know, you never knew when it was going to end. So I wanted to maximize as much as I possibly could being on the field. And, um, but, uh, but I love that organization. I always will. Um, and um, so uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah. You certainly endeared yourself to the fans, the way you played. And, you know, when it was all said and done 12 years, over a thousand games, you played that world series championship retired in 2009 and, and I'm sure you put a lot of effort since then into your sons and and to see them now to go to NC State a place that you know again you were signed to go to you didn't because you you went professionally to the Red Sox but what has that been like to to impart the game to them and uh, you know they probably don't remember obviously your, your playing days maybe as much but how much do you talk to them and and, and use your playing days to help them in their careers now and what they want to do with baseball? Um, not only was it, you know, kind of the learning experience, watch them go through the learning experience of playing, you know, all the sports. You know, I had them starting off. They played every sport and um, and they continued um, that for several years. Uh, but it's also a, a learning experience and a maturation uh, for myself. You know, I couldn't go out day one and, and coach them um as i was coached you know maybe at an older level you know i had to i had to learn how to communicate with them and what also helped was i had some good friends that i trusted a lot um uh, out here in holiday um he and i played football together you know he was a voice on the football field as well as um you know fletcher bates in baseball he and I played together, you know, he has a hidden facility here locally in town. And, uh, you know, I kind of, not just those two specifically, but they just kind of come to my mind at first that would help me, you know, not only would they help me in coaching uh, them, but also in a sense to where, where they would say, Hey, look, take a step back, take a deep breath and then let's go. But I think the biggest thing was, you know, and watching them progress over the years is, it's real easy for me to say, hey, look, 
you are Chase or you are Luke. You don't have to be me. All right. Yeah, I know. You know that's you know I I got to be this good. I you know I never knew what was going on. You know between their ears uh, when it came to stuff like that, and I also realized that believe it or not, there's a lot of people that if they weren't close to to me, a lot of them would say, well they expected my sons to be like I was at their age or like I was where when I ended up being a professional ball player. And I think, I don't think it was a situation where they ever heard that, but I think they at times felt that. So they had different, you know, kind of a mountain to climb um, than I really, you know, expected them to have or really, pretty much way I thought they were going to have it. I didn't think about that, but it just got to the point where it's like, Hey, look, most athletics and, and things, you know, there's some fundamentals that help make you a better person, whether it's doing sports or doing business or anything like that. Let's hammer down these fundamentals. And when you're building a house, we don't start with the roof. We're going to start with the foundation. So, you know, build that foundation and, uh, the biggest thing I wanted to do is I was, I want you to love what you do. And um, if there's not a passion in a certain sport, you don't have to play the sport to, for me to approve of it. I, I'm like, I don't go that route. But whatever we do, we're going to do it the right way and we're going to go all out in it. We're not going to just kind of go through the motions. And and there were some ups and downs for them. There was a lot of ups and downs. and. And um, I, as well as a lot of kids out there, you know, playing playing um, sports nowadays, because I think there's some people that surround these kids that think they're going to get drafted in, in football or baseball. They see the millions and millions of dollars that are going around. And, and that may be the case for some kids, but you can't put them in an atmosphere when they're eight, nine and 10 years old to think that's going to happen. Because there's a long time from eight years old to being 18 years old. And um, so it was always things that I learned that I felt like they needed to make sure were, you know, strong in their heart. You know, obviously, the first thing is, is that, you know, that having Christ in their heart, Christ led, you know, Christ is leading their path. That was, that was most important to me to have a Christ filled heart. And then, you know, family, your friends, you know, then you have your academics, which, you know, I wasn't always big on academics. I mean, I, I went to school. I, I studied because I feared my coaches. That's what it was nowadays. And it's not like that. And um, there's a lot that have been taken away, I think, from coaches and, and teachers that could really benefit the students. But that's a whole nother story. But in the same sense, um, you know, and I tell teachers and I tell coaches, I was like, look, I've raised my sons to do things a little bit differently. You know, if there is something that you need to tell them, you need to tell them. You don't need my permission. And um, but um I wanted them to, whatever they do, they do it the right way and they work hard at it. You know, don't be satisfied with just doing something okay. Be satisfied with doing it, um, you know, all the way. And, uh, um, but also 
having that mindset that, you know, you got to care about, you got to treat people with respect. Um, whether it's people your age, whether it's older people, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am, please. Um, those kind of things. The, the exact same things that were preached to me when I was coming through high school, they're not being preached to them now in high school. Like I said, it would be a lot better, but that's the way I want them uh, to approach things in life. And when you go out onto the field, you know, you play um, – a teammate of mine, uh, obviously Jason Veritek, the captain, he said this, he played for an audience of one and that audience is the man upstairs. And I think that kind of just puts things in perspective. And it, and it also can take a lot of things off, a lot of weight off your shoulders because for them, they felt like that they were playing for not only their, their teammates and their high school, but they're also saying, I, I got to play, you know, for my mom and dad, I got to play for my dad's legacy. And I'm like, look, this has got nothing to do. My, my legacy's done. Okay. It may not be done for me right now, but my path has changed. I was like, this is your path, you know, and um, just having the right foundation for both of them. Um, they got a tremendous amount of work ethic. Um, I've been really proud of them, how they, especially, um, it was tough on Chase because Chase was a COVID grad. So he decided to take a gap year and he played for Pro 5 Baseball Academy out of Raleigh, who is uh, a phenomenal organization when it comes to baseball. Um, also took some online courses, um, had pretty much what a collegiate season would look like. Um, and um, But also that organization, it's faith-based. It's also... Um, uh, they have the guys go out into the community and give back into the community, volunteer. So that allowed Chase to not only grow as a person tremendously, but also as a baseball player and got an opportunity to go to state. So uh, he'll be starting his second year. And and Luke has really kind of, you know, uh, motivated himself, um, you know, after those COVID years and everything got kind of switched around uh worked it has worked extremely hard uh in the weight room on the field great coaching staffs uh around him great people around him and and he uh it kind of paid off uh getting an opportunity getting the scholarship uh this past summer uh to play at nc state uh he's in his senior year this year so it'll be the following year the 23 24 season and um i told him i said that's congratulations but um job's not over yet you know you still gotta you know we gotta do the right things academically finish strong through this year but the process of you know academics as well as playing baseball and all that stuff you can't ever stop learning and that's what i've told myself that's what i've told people when i've spoken to them the day that i stopped learning about being the best baseball coach or the best baseball player you can be then it's time to move on to something different. Don't even deal with the game anymore. Because if you're somebody that doesn't want to get better, um, being able to coach kids and help kids uh, progress on, then there's really no sense in you being a part of the game. Now, yes, the game has changed a lot. And there's analytics. And there are some analytics that are good for players. But when I hear about eight – 
to 12 year olds worried about their exit velocity and launch angle, it drives me up a wall because all that tells me is that when young kids, even in high school, when they hit the ball, if they have to look at a screen to see if they hit it well or not, that's not telling me that they know much about the game. So that's the only thing that worries about me is the feel of the game and knowing how to play it, learning how to play it, and not sitting there and having a coach tell you everything to do on the field. So um, that's what we're trying to do over at New Hanover right now, make these guys all around good baseball players as well as, as uh, human beings. Well, you've certainly done that with your sons. Great career for you and, and great advice to, to impart to, to those uh, that may be watching this, younger folks that may be watching this as well. And Trot, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today and, and reliving some of those memories. And, and again, that great run in 2004 to end the curse of the Bambino. I'm sure you, you are you are big time in Boston whenever you go back there. And, and I'm sure you enjoy your time when you get back there. But again, I thank you for your time here today, joining us here in the front row. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. You guys are great. Hold your water, baby. <laughs> well, my thanks to Trot Nixon for joining us here today. Great stories. Great to hear the passion he has and the love he has for the Boston Red Sox fans and certainly did great things there in helping them win a World Series championship. Our thanks, as always, to you for watching or listening today. We continue to ask you to subscribe. Be sure to do that. Do not miss any of our upcoming episodes. More great guests come your way. Stay tuned for that. Mike Vaccaro here, JR Equipment behind the scenes. It's in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.